You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to James chapter 5. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 19 today as we kind of wrap up this series. We've been looking at authentic faith. Um, the book of James is challenging, fun, um, challenging, um, scary, fun. Okay, so like in that order too. Um, it is a unique book in the New Testament because it stands as a direct call to a very important principle that we cannot, a spiritual principle that we can never lose sight of. And it's very important that we never lose sight of this truth, is that God's word is alive. God's word is active. It is alive. It is powerful. And the place that God's word is intended to go is into the soil of our heart, of our spirit. And by faith, it produces something. And so the book of James challenges us and and makes us look at this truth squarely in the face and embrace it that our faith has to show something. Our faith has to have an outcome. But can I tell you something? That is the way God created faith to work in you. That is the way that God created the Word of God to work in you. And praise the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord that you don't pick up this book that you have called the Bible, and it's not just a novel. It's not fictional. But it's alive. It's real. It's active. It's able to do something in your life. And the reason why we need the book of James is so that we will be challenged to take the things that God has given us, the truth that he's given us through his word, through his voice, through prophecy, and begin to say, God, we want that to be alive in us. So we've got to put our faith on it and put a demand on it for it to be active. That's why the book of James starts off and says, listen, it talks about what we do under pressure, under facing the trials of life. And isn't that amazing that it starts off in that way to say, listen, count it all joy, brothers, when you, brothers and sisters, when you undergo various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And when patience has its work, that you will be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Well, that's just not the natural uh, response to pressures of life, is it? No, not at all. We don't just get patient. We don't sit back in the saddle and say, hey, God's going to come through. What do we do? We set our hands to everything we can to try to figure it out. But God says, wait a minute, relax, look to me, trust me. Why is that important? Because God wants to prove in your life that his truth and his word works in you. And what does that confirm in your life? It confirms a very powerful truth that you must abide in every day, that Jesus loves you. Why? Because if God's word works in you, it proves that Jesus loves you, that God loves you. And here's a greater truth than that, is that if God, God's word works in you and proves that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, God's word is in you to prove to the world that Jesus loves the world. How do you think the world responds when they watch you go through the pressures and they know what you're walking through, but instead of being beat down, instead of being depressed, you have joy, authentic joy, real joy in you, joy that comes from the Father. They look at you and say, Bob, why, why, what's, what's going on, man? I know you're going through a rough thing, so why are you responding this way? And you have the opportunity not to say something fake, not to say something cliche, but to say something that's transformed your life, to say, it's because I know the love of Jesus in me, and it's real. 
And then they take notice and they say, well, if it's real for you, can it be real for me? And you say, absolutely, because it can be, right? And so this is what the book of James does for us is it says, listen, God is speaking to us constantly through his word, through his voice. He's speaking to every, every one of us. He wants to. And what he speaks is intended to bear fruit and be made alive. Jesus said it like this, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Glorify God in heaven. This isn't works of goodness, just Boy Scout works. This is works rooted in faith. There's a promise that comes for those who call themselves sons and daughters of God that as we listen to the voice of the Father and we do the things that God has told us to do, that not only are we relying upon supernatural influence to see those things happen, but it's actually producing something called light. It's shining into the darkness. Can I just jump to the side really quick and say this, that if you see more dark in the world, it's time to be greater light. Why? Because darkness can't overcome light. Light overcomes darkness. And the equation that causes light to come is this, is that sons and daughters listen to the voice of their father. They're compelled in love. They stand out and they say, I trust my father because I love him and I'm going to obey what he says to do. And they see the Holy Spirit go before him and do it. And all of a sudden the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. People come to the light. They come to the knowledge of the father. What a powerful thing. This is why James is so important to us. So it's very fitting that the very last passages in James end with the idea of what wholeness looks like. And this morning's message is, is just simply keys to wholeness. Keys to wholeness. Because James, the Holy Spirit through James concludes this book with just a couple of things. Three things, three questions, and then a statement about two keys that we're supposed to possess. And I want to just give this to you. And I, I know you understand this, so, so listen to this really quick. That I want, to pr- I want to just present this to you, that these keys are things that we have to possess as individuals, but they're actually multiplied through the body of Christ. You have to own them personally. They only work if you own them personally. But when we come together as a body of Christ, something amazing happens. Okay, And so here is what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do today, is that some of you, as we go through these first three questions, you're going to identify and go, that's me, that's me. And you may find yourself in a place of hopelessness or hurting or pain. And here is what the Holy Spirit wants to do, is he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. Okay, He wants to heal you spirit, mind, and body completely. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't halfway heal. He's a whole healer. Whole healer. Whole healer. But then I also want us to get a glimpse and ask the Holy Spirit to say, what does this look like when we actually not just move past the place of getting it for ourselves, but become carriers as the body of Christ into a world? Okay? So that's what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so as we say yes to the Holy Spirit, then we begin to capture that revelation. So let's just read in James 5, 13 through 19. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring, you, bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from the death and cover over a multitude of sins. James starts off and he asks three questions, and these are three questions that kind of capture every position of our life, because we've been in these, these places. Some of us have been in every one of them at different times. Some of us have been in more than one of them at the same time. But James asks a question, and these are questions of wholeness, because he's saying, listen, are, are you troubled? Are you afflicted? Are you happy? Are you sick? And you're going to probably be in one of those three places in your life. And James asks these questions, and and what the Holy Spirit is driving at is saying, listen, I want you to be whole. I want you to be whole. So he starts off with this question. He goes, what do you do when you find yourself in trouble? Are any of you in trouble? And see, the trouble with trouble is that trouble is troubling. The trouble with trouble is that trouble keeps you up at night. The trouble with trouble is that trouble causes you to lose your appetite. The trouble with trouble is that trouble makes you cranky toward the people you love. The trouble with trouble is that trouble makes you want to isolate yourself. And so what the Spirit of the Lord is saying here is saying, listen, you're going to find yourself at different points and times in trouble. And here's what you need to do. You need to pray. Let me give you an explanation of this word trouble. Because it can be a whole lot of different things. The other day I was um, in my room and I was just like straight getting very comfortable about to watch some TV. All right, I like comedy. I was about to put it on. About to go in relax mode. Had my pillows just where I wanted them. I have a TV in my room, which is a bad thing. Because you you can get real lazy real fast. But you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in that position? Maybe it's your recline or your chair and you just got that right spot. And you're like, yep, nothing moved. Just let's go push, find the remote, let's go, right? And all of a sudden, a fly comes in my room. And I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, okay pause, like right behind your ear where you can't see him out of your peripheral, but you can definitely hear him like he's like in your brain. I'm like, it gets to the place where I have to get up and I start fighting with this fly. And this fly knows that like it's fight time, right? Because he's like, oh yeah, it brought out the best fire. Dun, 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 right? And this fly is like, he's like playing with me. And I'm like, swing and miss, swing and miss. Get my ninja outfit on, and this fly, I can imagine him with his bandana, like, it's on. And all of a sudden, my comfortable time, my time of relaxing and being comfortable has been just uprooted by this annoying, stupid fly that I can't kill. Shoe fly, don't bother me. When the Bible says, are any of you troubled? This is what it means. It's not talking about the literal trouble because trouble is relative, isn't it? But trouble works the same way with everybody, no matter what it is. It grasps and destroys your peace. 
And so James asks here, are any of you troubled? Do any of you have a problem that is, is messing with you, that is disturbing your peace and disturbing the joy that the Lord is trying to give you? What do you do? You pray. And the thing about it is this, is that prayer is not often our first response to trouble, is it? Some of us say, oh yeah, it is. When I get in trouble, I scream out to the Lord. But that's really not prayer, is it? No, prayer that the Bible talks about here is a petitioning is something that is putting an expectation on the Lord to move, knowing that He is for you. Knowing that He has established something better than what you're finding yourself being annoyed with through the trouble. And I love the fact that James is so direct. As a, it doesn't need a lot of explanation, but it just comes like this. If you're in trouble, you need to pray. You need to pray. Prayer needs to be our first response in times of trouble. We need to go to the Lord and we need to pray. Why? Why do we pray when we're in trouble? Does anybody else ask themselves these questions? Is anybody else not satisfied with pat answers? Does anybody say, God, why are you asking us to pray when we're in trouble? Can I tell you why we pray when we're in trouble? Scripture says several important things. The first is this, is that God is listening and he wants to answer us in our time of trouble. 1 Peter 3.12 says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayers. I've got five kids. And if you ask me to, if I had to spit out all their names, I'll confuse them. Sometimes I'm looking for one, and I call them all five before I get to that one. (laughs) It happens. But let me tell you something. As a dad, when my daughters are my son are in trouble, you got to believe I'm attentive to them. I hear them and I respond to them. And this is something very important because what it does is solidifies the reality of the goodness of the Father and the love of Jesus for every one of you. That you have a good Father in heaven that is attentive, is listening to you in your time of trouble. He is not far from you. He is not dismissing himself from you. He is not distant, but he gets closer to you in your time of trouble. And you need that revelation. Why? Because you will step out in some stuff when you are called by faith that will feel troubling. But when you have the confidence that you have a Father that will never leave you, never forsake you, that is close to you, you're going to step out in confidence. There's a reason why God asks us to go to him to pray when we're in trouble. The second reason is because God loves you and he's going to deliver you. God is going to deliver you. Psalm 50, 15 says, and call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Some of you need to highlight that in your Bible. I didn't make that up. (laughs) That's real. Call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. 1 Peter 5, 7, we know this one. Cast your cares and your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Listen, we call on the Lord when we're in trouble because he cares. Because the reality of him being the good father who desires to meet our needs becomes real in these moments. It builds faith inside of us. It solidifies something inside of us to continue to step out. When I think about Paul in the Bible, and I think about all the times he would go, the Lord would call him on missionary journeys, and he would go into various cities, so many cities that it just became the thing that happened to him. 
And he would go into certain cities and he would get beat. He would go into other cities and get imprisoned and beat. He would get on a boat, it would wreck. He would go someplace, they'd threaten his life. They'd try to kill him. He'd get bit by something. I mean, in and out, day and night, all the time, something was happening to Paul. Why didn't Paul stop? I'm thinking, Paul, it would have been one and done for me. I would have been like, it's on my passport and that's good enough. I'm going to leave it there. (laughs) I'm not going back. I am not going back there. When last time I went there, I got a story to tell and a scar to show you. It is not happening again. But Paul didn't do that. Why? Because he understood a very important truth about the Father. Is that in his day of trouble, God was close. And so trouble did not stop him. And if I could just gently introduce something to us to make us the entire body of Christ worldwide, is that the Western body of Christ needs to embrace that. Don't give up. And this is why, honestly, can I, can I be, just be very honest? This is why we need the book of James. Because James says this. Listen, don't give up when things get tough. Press into God and you will find him to be faithful and to be true and to be the one that you will know undoubtedly who loves you. The second question that James asks is, what, what happens when you're doing great? Keep your fingers crossed, right? Nope. No. What he says is very simple. is sing songs of praise. Sing songs of praise. What happens when you're doing good? What happens when nothing's wrong and things are going your way? This is the time that you need to praise. This is the time that you need to rejoice. And praise is what we give to God for who He is. Praise is not worship. Worship is intimacy. Worship is thanking God for what He's done for you. Praise is telling God who He is. You're faithful. You're loving. You're good. You're perfect. You're just. You're holy. You're true. You will not fail. And I want to give you a picture here because prayer and praise go hand in hand. Paul and Silas in the prison. What happened there? They were locked up. What did they do? They decided to pray. What were they praying? They were praying in earnest belief of the goodness of their father to deliver them. And they didn't know how it was going to come. They didn't have an expectation on God and how it was going to come. They just clung to the truth that God was for them. And a byproduct of prayer, when it's put in that place, is praise. And they began to praise the Lord. You're the deliverer. You're the one who is faithful. You redeemed us. You are Savior. And as they praised, the prison shook. The doors opened. Here's the powerful thing about praise. Is that praise, as we begin to do it the way that the Word of God says, we begin to declare the truth of who He is in our life, begins to make room and put joy inside of us. Praise is the position that brings joy in us. And every one of us need to ask the Holy Spirit to make that a deep revelation inside of us because instead of waiting for things to change around us, for us to be joyful, the Holy Spirit has actually given us authority to make an environment joyful. If you're in your home or your workplace or your school or your neighborhood and it's not joyful, As a son or daughter of God, God has looked at you and said, 
It's your job to make it joyful. How do you do that? You begin to praise. You begin to look at the impossible situations that seem barred up and locked up, and you begin to thank God because He is the one who sets free. You're the addiction breaker. You're the relationship restorer. You're the one who brings peace. You're the one who brings future. You're the hope for the hopeless. That's who you are. That is who you are. You remind God. Why? Because He inhabits the praises of His people. He comes down. He joins in. And listen, where the presence of, the God, where the presence of God is, where God sits in a place, nothing can stand against it, can oppose it. We've got, we've got, to, we've got to grasp that. Listen, Paul wasn't special. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm so excited about this passage. I'm, I'm getting a little bit jumpy, like jumping all over the place. But James actually tells us this, that these guys we read about, they're no different than us. They were men just like us, men and women just like us. God's not a respecter of persons. But what happened was this, is that, is that God showed up as they praised. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. We need to create uh, positive atmospheres in the places that God has put us. We need to create positive atmospheres in our workplaces. No more Eeyores. You guys know who Eeyore is? Winnie the Pooh? I can't stand Eeyore. That's why he had a pinned-on tail. He deserved that pinned-on tail, dumb donkey. Oh, Pooh, we don't got no more honey. Stuffed animal. Put that, give that thing to goodwill. You're not an Eeyore. You're not an Eeyore. You weren't created to be an Eeyore. You're, you, are not, you are not just there to, to tell people, listen, you don't just go around and talk about your problems. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the reality of issues and problems and things in our life, but I'm telling you that as sons and daughters of God, God has given us a way to handle it. And here's how it goes. We pray and then we praise. And praise puts joy in our heart and it releases an environment, an atmosphere for God to show up. And if you will do that, if you will do that in the places when you go into work, if you'll do that in your home, things will change. Are any of you in trouble? Pray. Are any of you feeling good? Then praise. Praise, praise, praise. Praise brings joy. And then James asks another question and it gets us into a little bit of a sticky situation. What happens when you're sick? Are any of you sick? There's three steps that we take. I want to break these down. Okay. The first is this. The Word of God says is go to an elder to be anointed with oil. Let me explain this to you really quick. Because this word elder is a Greek word that stands for somebody who's an overseer over an assembly. And this has probably been one of the most contested, confused things in the Bible but can I give you what I believe that it means is that this is somebody who has a maturity in their righteousness in the Lord who leads people in this truth. What I'm saying to you is it's not just me. It's not just Pastor Ken. It's not Pastor Spud. But there are people in this church that God has brought up, and many of you know, some of you are, are being led by them in small groups who they're elders in this church, that people that, that God has raised up. And some of you have personal friends who have been walking with the Lord, who have led people in righteousness. And listen, I want to tell you something. 
we should all seek to be in this place. Why, why am I even talking about this? Because I have a personal issue with hierarchy. I have a personal issue with hierarchy. And I believe this, that God has put in His body and, and, and desires for everybody to, desire, to, to push to be the best they can be in Christ Jesus. Okay? And so the only reason why I'm saying that is because I want every one of you to be qualified. I want every one of you to be qualified. But it says something else that we need to pay attention to is that it talks about this, this picture of being anointed with oil. And what this is is the laying on of hands. And in the same way that I want everybody to be uh, appointed and to desire to do this, and that's why we have prayer people that come up, is that there is a sacredness to this moment. There is a sacredness to us assembling together on Sundays when we come together as the body of Christ that we must keep sacred. That God says, I show up and I do something special. The ministry of laying on of hands is important and it's still relevant today. And when we lose sight of some of these things, what we're also throwing out because of convenience or because we don't want to explain it or we're afraid of it is we're throwing out some of the revelation that God's Word gives us to make us whole. And so we can't. And so there is a reason and a justification and a need even for there to be the laying on of hands. And that can happen on a Sunday morning. That can happen in a small group. That can happen in your living room. But it is important. And the Word of God says it. Jesus talked about it in Mark 16, 18. He said, listen, you're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is a way in which God still moves today. But here is what activates this. And this is what I want to see, us to see, is that it's the prayer of faith that brings healing. Scripture says it's the prayer offered in faith that heals. So faith has to be present for healing to occur. Faith has to be present for healing to occur. This is what I love about the book of James. And as I study this, again, this is such a a debated issue. And some of you understand it because you've thought through it and you've talked through it. And most of the time, we either come into one of two sides of the idea here. Is that God sometimes heals or God absolutely heals? But here's what I want to direct you to in gentleness and in love through the book of James is that the question is not answered by whether or not loved ones that we have loved so dearly have died in sickness, but the question is actually answered through the context of who God is. And again, in all gentleness and all, all grace, let me say with, with absolute clarity that I believe that it's God's absolute will 100% to heal. Here's why I believe that through the book of James. Because the answer to this, unraveling this and and talking through this, James is not a 50% book. James isn't a 75% book. Friends, James is not even a 99% book. The thing that the Holy Spirit challenges us in the book of James is to be 100%. 
The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's like the waves of the sea being tossed to and fro. Therefore, stand, anchor, put your feet firmly on the word of faith. And friends, let me tell you again, in all gentleness and grace, yes, there have been people that have not been healed, but can I submit to you that it is the fight that we must fight, and it is a good fight to fight. As we contend and we stand and we say, God, we believe you to absolutely be the healer. I believe, trusting in that, we will see more people healed and delivered. Why? What's the picture? What's the big picture here? The big picture is this, is that God wants you to be whole. God wants you to be whole. He wants you to be whole. And then it says this, and this is very interesting. It says, listen, if, if, they've, if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. So what happens when you're sick is that there's a time that you need to get hands laid on you by somebody in authority, anointed with oil. There is the prayer of faith that must be trusting 100% in God. And let me say one more other thing about this prayer of faith is that this phrase, the prayer of faith, is only mentioned in James chapter 5 out of the entirety of the Bible. And that word prayer is the Greek word pistis, which means this, trust, 100% trust. We put the prayer of faith and it activates something supernatural, powerful about who God is and God's desire for us to be whole. But there are times that we have to confess things for healing to occur. We don't talk about this enough in the body of Christ, but again, James gives us the opportunity to do so is that there is a time that unforgiveness and bitterness can be a roadblock to our healing. Let me prove this to you in Mark eleven twenty four and 26. This is Jesus talking. For this reason I'm telling you, whatever things you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received them and they will be given to you. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you in your transgressions and your wrongdoings. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your transgressions. See, there's times in our life that we struggle with things in our physical body and affirmities that attack our physical body because there is unforgiveness in our life. And unforgiveness breeds bitterness. Let me prove it to you with one more scripture. Okay, let me give this to you because this can bring healing to you today if you find yourself in that place. Because the remedy is simple. Go and get forgiveness. Let it go. I don't want to start singing, let it go, but I will if it helps. All right? Give it to God. Let it go. Go to the person and say, I'm sorry. Even if they did you wrong, even if they did you wrong, and you're holding on to something because they did you wrong, when we get to heaven, we're, we are going to understand how viciously important the body is to the heart of the Father and how He protects it so dearly and deeply. Okay? But here, here listen to this passage real quick in Ephesians. And I'm going to get off this. Ephesians 4, 20, 26 and 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. Some of your Bibles say. What's the point of this? Because in Ephesians 4... The, the Holy Spirit is outlining the body of Christ, and it says this very powerful, amazing thing that I absolutely, absolutely love. And it's this, that Jesus is exalted in the highest place. He sits with the Father, right? That's where he is, his headship is. And then we are his body, so we fit into the body. And then he's placed 
all things under his feet. So I want you to imagine, like me standing here, I'm Jesus, and I'm exalted in heaven, right? This part, but, but the body fills up this part, but Jesus has put all things under his feet. Every demonic thing, anything that could attack the body, Jesus has made submitted to his authority, so he's put it under his feet, except when the body turns on itself. That's the only time, I want you to hear this because it's an amazing revelation of authority that you have in Christ Jesus. So you've got more authority than you understand. But when we choose to live in unforgiveness and bitterness toward the body, what happens is that we give the enemy a foothold. That's why husbands and wives, straighten out your stuff before you go to bed. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because one of you is going to be on the couch. Guys, it's going to be you. Wink, wink, right? Right? Yeah, you're like, that's right. <laughs> Straighten it out with your kids. Straighten it without people in the body. Straighten it out. Straighten it out. Straighten it out. And, and there are times, and this is why James says this, listen, that if you're sick, go and ask the elders and let them anoint with oil. The prayer of faith will heal you, will, will, will raise you up. And if you've sinned, you will be forgiven. Why? Because you cannot, that is why Jesus, when the, the leper was, what, man, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place today. When, G, when the leper was gone down through the ceiling, right, what happened? He said, your sins are forgiven you. Why did Jesus say that? Because sin is a roadblock sometimes to healing, isn't it? And he said, just so you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. Why? Because there are times that that happens. And, and listen, don't worry about it because if it's you, you know. And if it's you, just deal with it. In the name of Jesus, deal with it. All right? So here we go. He hits all three of these. And then we wrap this up with these two keys to wholeness, okay? Every one of us has, has to possess. In James 5.16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The first key, the first key to wholeness gives us wholeness. So it's, it's relationship. The first key is relationships. Some of you uh, hear us talking about our life groups that we have, and I'm hearing powerful testimonies. I'm so excited. We're going to find, we're going to get some videos going um, of testimonies that are taking place. I'm hearing from a couple of small groups what God's doing, and I'm, I'm excited. Because it proves James 5.16. Some folks have walked with the Lord for a long time and have found themselves still just going round and round, struggling with the same issue. And here's why. There are some things that are, we walk through in, the, in our life that God has designed for us to deal with in the context of fellowship of relationship. The scripture says something very, very important. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray so that you may be made whole. These sins are the things that are afflicting you, that are troubling you, that are problems that you have brought upon yourself through the wrong agreement for believing the wrong things and, and that have ultimately led to doing the wrong things. We call those things strongholds. And some of you say, listen, I've prayed, Pastor, I've prayed for God to, I've rebuked this stronghold, I've prayed, I've had people come lay hands on me. I mean, I've done it, I've done it all. But can I tell you that unless there is godly accountability in your life, if there are not brothers and sisters around you who love you, 
who are willing to pray for you, who are willing to encourage you and point you toward the truth that healing may not come in that area? Well, pastor, this is just between me and the Lord. Well, listen, if it's between you and the Lord and you've been dealing with it for more than a year, you're basically saying one of two things, that God doesn't work or you got a deeper problem than you're willing to admit. And so here's the thing that God does is he says, listen, I've given the body because there's things that we got to talk about in life. And you need somebody to put their arm around you and say, I've either been through that or it's okay. We're going to walk. This is not who you are. Remind you of your righteousness. Say, listen, I'm going to pray with you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for Andy. I thank you, Father, that you're doing a mighty work. Somebody's going to call. Is going to text you. That is what the body is about. There's no way in the world in our natural body that we would let pain exist without trying to do something about it. We would never isolate it. We've been put together. And so this is one of the keys for wholeness is understanding the power of relationships, the, bo- the context of the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, there's ample encouragement and accountability needed for people to be made whole and complete. The second thing is authority in James 5, 16 and 17. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I love this, because there is an authority that we have to possess as the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And this is the reason why relationships again become so important because sometimes the things that attack the understanding of our righteousness are the things that we let lay left dormant the things that stay dormant the things that we don't talk about the things that are uncovered and what it's doing is this is that it's attacking our fellowship with the father and when we don't have fellowship with the father we don't understand what the father says about us as the righteousness of Christ Jesus If you don't understand that you're the righteousness of Christ Jesus, you don't understand the authority that you have as a son or a daughter. And so the Spirit of the Lord says, listen, get that out of your life. Understand that relationships are a key to wholeness, but the other key to wholeness is the authority that I've given you. So you have to understand that when you pray, it's powerful and it's effective. So God asks us, and He gives us this amazing picture. And again, I don't want this to lose, I don't want you to lose sight of this. Please don't lose sight of this. Because James was talking to Jews, and Jews loved Elijah. Causing a drought and causing rain to come was on the same level as raising the dead as far as miraculous things to a Jew. And so when James, through the Holy Spirit, uses this illustration, what he's saying is this. Elijah, who you put on this pedestal, was just a man or a woman like you. But here's what made him powerful, is that he understood what the Spirit of God was saying to him in that moment and who he was, and he stood up in that authority, and he cried out in that authority, and God moved. God will do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. It's very simple, but very powerful. That's why we have to stand up in the authority and in the righteousness that God has given us. 
But can I, can I just address something in the same way that relationships are done through the context of the body? There's something powerful that even though we must own this picture of the authority that prayer gives and has in our life, we must own it corporately too. Because there are things that as we agree as a body for God to do in our community and in, in our world that God will move and he's asking us to. He is asking us to do these things. These are things that we must have. And so we have to cry out for it. If there's anything hindering your fellowship that is causing your righteousness not to be seen clearly, then get it dealt with. Allow the Holy Spirit cry out grace. Find somebody. Get connected into a life group. They are not just here because we need a program in the church. They are here to grow you. All right. And so it closes out with this. And this is the conclusion. It says, listen, there's going to be times when people need to be reminded of this. There are going to be times when somebody goes and forgets this truth and finds them pl- themselves in a place where they're sinning. And there are going to be people that you see that are disconnected. And more often than not, you encounter this not in the context of the church, but you encounter this in the context of the relationships you have outside the church. People that maybe had a glimpse of who God was, but they forgot. Some hurt, some pain got in the way, and as a result, there's a blockage to their fellowship, to their relationship with the Father. And what has to happen is this, is that there has to be a boldness that comes on us to remind us to be people that are always reaching out to try to pull people in. I want to tell you something about Southeast Texas, that demographically we have not changed in a bajillion years. Literally a bajillion Not a bajillion, but a hundred. So here's the deal. Do you still know that out of all the churches that you see on every corner, that if they were filled up, it's just not enough for everybody to go to church? So let me just destroy some myths that this is an oversaturated place of, of religion and God and all that stuff. It's not. See, but what has to happen is that there has to be a fresh connection. And it's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, I want my people, to hear my voice and to connect people in with the truth of who I am as the loving Father. And so somebody has to say, that has so influenced and transformed my life that I'm going to go reach to somebody who is hurting, who is broken, and I'm going to say, God still loves you. There is a place where you can experience that love. But even better than that, let me tell you something, even, even better than getting people in, in, in churches is bringing the church to your place that you work. Then crazy stuff starts to happen. Then miraculous stuff starts to happen. God begins to show up in a phenomenal way. And the book of James simply says this, That the reason why wholeness comes to the body of Christ is so that it can be the full manifestation of Jesus Christ in the world. Because anything that is damaged or broken or hurt for any reason is not the glimmering, beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. God is intent and aggressive and lovingly, passionately pursuing you to make you whole. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is life and your word is truth. 
Lord, I thank you that, Father, it's your desire to make every one of us whole. Lord, in this moment, Lord, what I'm, I'm, what I'm asking for is this, is, uh, is just a very reverent, sacred time to occur. The Holy Spirit, you begin to move powerfully. You begin to just move and blow in this place and speak to lives, Lord, to those who are hurting and broken. Lord, that they're tormented or they're sick. Father, and I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your healing would come. Lord God, your healing of of the mind would come. Father, if there is a need for repentance, Lord, let that happen. Lord, let, let people humble their hearts here in this place, in this moment. Holy Spirit, humble them before you. Lord, because as we confess our sins, your word promises that you are faithful and just. That you are faithful. That you are just. That you forgive. And that you cleanse. And you restore fellowship and righteousness to us. So Father, in this moment, Lord, as that's happening all throughout this room, Lord, let the revelation of the love of the Father fill hearts. Let it heal the broken areas and the pain that has set in through brokenness. Lord, let it begin to touch physical bodies in this place, Lord, that are dealing with sickness. Lord, let faith rise up. Let trust rise up in the authority of who you are, that you are the healer, that you are the healer. And Holy Spirit, move in this place and touch bodies, heal bodies, physical bodies, backs, Kidneys, hearts, remove cancers in this place in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and do that. Come and move powerfully amongst your beautiful bride. Lord, let that be a revelation of your love. Lord, you love us so much. Let that love come and just fill every heart. Lord, I pray right now for those who have, Lord, held a hurt and offense against You, Father. Lord, let the love of the Father so overwhelm them that they let that go right in this moment. And they find healing. Lord, You love Your bride. Father, I thank You in the name of Jesus that every stronghold is broken. Lord, You said it. The weapons that we war with are not carnal in nature. They're not guns and they're not missiles and they're not bullets and they're not swords and knives. They're mighty in You, Father. You're the mighty one. And only You, Father, can pull down strongholds. You've promised it and You're doing it. So Holy Spirit, thank You for uprooting strongholds. Strongholds rooted in pain. Strongholds rooted in addiction. Strongholds that are rooted in hurt. Strongholds that have started from victimization. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we rebuke those and we, we thank You for the loving touch of the Father coming and healing hearts right now. Let's just take a moment. Let's just push into this. Let's make this a, a reverent moment. A sacred moment. Father, thank You for that. Heal hearts. Father, let the revelation of Your authority come and fill every person here Lord, some folks here in 
don't fully understand what it is to be called the son or daughter of God. To stand up in that righteousness that's been given through Jesus Christ. Let that revelation come. Let them pick their heads up. Let them hold their heads up high. As they inhale, let their lungs be filled with the revelation of who they are. Lord, fill them with boldness. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for clarity that we would begin have eyes to see and ears to hear what You're saying right now through us on the earth today and what You're calling us to. Father, we thank You for that. We thank You for faith to step out and to do those things. We love You, Lord. We receive this through the awesome, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd stand to your feet, please. God is so good. Pastor Ken and Jeannie, will you come up? Hey, Carl, why don't you and Josh come and stand right here? Ronnie and Charlotte, y'all mind coming up? You know, we talked about it today, about the laying on of hands, and, and, and this isn't something that we need to brush by. It's not a footnote in the Bible, but it's something that God intended to be impactful and useful today. And some of you today, that there is an infirmity in your body that you need for somebody to lay hands on you. And today, if that's you, that what we're extending to you is this, is don't leave this place. Don't leave this place today, please, without receiving prayer. Don't leave this place being broken. Don't leave this place not in the wholeness that the Holy Spirit has provided for you today. Don't do it. Don't do it. I implore you, please don't do it. Come and receive what God has freely given you. It's a reflection of His love. He loves you. So as we close today, if that's you, just please come forward. I just declare the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ, the one who is greater in you, over you, that to Him and from Him come all things. He is the source and the one to turn your eyes to. He is the lover of your soul and the one that holds you firmly in the palm of His hand. I declare that over you in the name of Jesus. Have a great day.